It's a good Tuesday morning here inside the FingerLakes1.com studio. This is Finger Lakes Today presented by DeSanto Propane. I'm Rebecca Swift. And I'm Paul Russo. Coming up this morning, we've got an in-depth look at what the state's push towards clean energy means for the region's workforce, an exclusive look at Restaurant Week in Cayuga County, and Jim Senecropi's recent visit to Skinny Atlas Brewery. In just a few moments, though, we'll be joined by Chris Lejuski from the Montezuma Audubon Center for his monthly chat. But first, we need to get you caught up on weather. I believe we have some snow coming, Josh Durso. Good morning. Good morning. Good Is morning. that true? It's kind of true. So Yikes. nobody needs to freak out. Stay calm, everybody. Everything's everything's fine, right? Never. Um, it's gonna be. We're gonna get some snow, but it's not gonna be much of a storm. So that's what I'm gonna say about it. It's just gonna be a light, sloppy mess, basically. So uh, let's get you through today first. Uh, gusty winds, snow showers, high around 36. Might be a little shot of uh, snow here between like 11 and 2 o'clock, but once that passes, it'll just be overcast, which is something we've gotten very used to uh, over the last few weeks. Snow develops tomorrow during the day, changes to a mix overnight, two to four inches of of accumulating snow. Problem's going to be that when it changes over to rain, which it's most likely going to do during the overnight hours, some of that accumulation is going to go bye-bye. So during the day, during the evening tomorrow, I'm basically looking at the, the Wednesday evening commute. So that 5 to 7 o'clock window, mm-hmm. that's when the snow will be falling. That's when we'll be having some accumulating snow. Um, but by the next morning, everything should be good. So just plan on taking a little extra time tomorrow evening, and you'll be good to go. Thursday, rain and snow showers, high around 35. Uh, Friday, we've got mostly cloudy, 31. Saturday, Sunday, cloudy, 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 38, 34. It's just cloudy. It's so we cloudy get another cloudy? Day. We might. I mean, there might, you know, we might see the sun at some point in February. Not sure when, but... Um, that's what we're looking at. National Weather Service might issue some advisories for this whole mixed bag of precipitation that we're going to see tomorrow. But again, don't be alarmed. Two to four inches, pretty much the, the most accumulating snow we're going to see. And frankly, it's the most snow we've seen accumulate if we do get that in the last basically month. So, so you're talking yeah. about in the Finger Lakes region. Quick question. What about in Ro- like the Rochester City area? Are they going to get more or less than we're going to get deal. here? Same deal. So Same. there might be a little more. There might be a little more. They'll be on the higher end of that two to four range. Gotcha. Um, but the transition to rain and uh, mixed precipitation is going to happen everywhere. So unless you're way up, unless you're going into like the North Country, you're not going to be seeing anything uh, really significant out of this. And even then, you know, three to six inches as opposed to two to four inches. Nothing. Nothing major. This is going to be a very uh, reasonable and manageable weather system. It is going to remain active, so that basically we're going to be seeing these little quick passing systems. They're expecting one Sunday into Monday, and then another one in the middle of next week. But uh, all signs point to this continued trend of temperatures being just above freezing, kind of hovering between that 33 to 38 mark, which means if we keep staying on the warm side of all of these low-pressure systems as they move through, they're not going to get a ton of accumulating snow. So winter just continues to, to you just keep waiting for winter All or, right. or not. If Fair you don't, enough. if you don't like winter, you are happy as a clam right now because trend's been great. Yeah. 
if you really don't like snow, if you don't like to ski like we've talked about. Uh, for more news or the latest forecast information, check out FingerLakes1.com Weather Center. Now we're going to switch gears and talk about some headlines. And again, for that, we have Josh Durso. Um, first thing we wanted to ask you about was if there were any updates on this house fire that happened in West Bloomfield. What can you tell us? Yeah, so first responders were called to Con Road in West Bloomfield around 11.30 a.m. yesterday. Uh, the call came in as an attached garage fire. Uh, by the time uh, firefighters got there, uh, it had already spread to the, the main portion of the house. The house and the garage were really largely damaged. They, they aren't calling it a total loss, but it appears to be very close to a total loss. Uh, no human injuries, but a couple uh, pets are unaccounted for. Um, the investigation into the cause of the fire remains active, but it looks like it started in potentially a vehicle in the garage or an engine in the garage, and then obviously spread from there. So, oh, um, Then the next story that we're following today, interesting, um, Hochul approval rating goes up. Did any of governors, the governor's proposals receive bipartisan support in the Siena poll? Yes and yes and yes. Very oh, wow. interesting. So we got a lot of surprises here, I think. Um, you got to dig in a little bit. But so here's what we're looking at. It's a new poll from Siena, obviously. Uh, it was conducted after her State of the State address earlier this month. So her job rating, they conduct these pretty much monthly. The last one was in the beginning of December. So her job rating jumped from 49% to 56%. Her favorability rating jumped from 45 to 48%. And given where we saw it going through the election cycle and into December, this was pretty much totally unexpected, this, this switch. Um, the interesting thing, I guess, is that a majority of, of voters on both sides support most of her initiatives. One is really, really interesting. So crime and bail changes. 65% of all voters support giving judges more discretion when setting bail for those accused of crimes. If you dig deeper on that, Democrats actually outpolled Republicans on this, which would be a major, any progressive in New York is going to tell you that this is a major change to bail reform as it was instituted by progressive Democrats, you know, now three years ago. Um, it was a seven point margin with 68% of Democrats supporting uh, the change and 61% of Republicans supporting the change. It's interesting because we talked about this, uh, you know, we've talked about it now almost weekly here on the show, um, where it looked like Governor Hochul was going to have a fight on her hands because she wanted to change some elements of bail reform and some elements of prior criminal justice reforms that have been passed because of the violence in cities like right. Rochester and Syracuse. Um, but the consensus was that she wouldn't get enough support from Democrat lawmakers, especially in the progressive wing of the party, to get any of those across the finish line. Mm -hmm. This poll shows that Democratic voters actually align more with what the moderate part of the Democratic Party wants to see, which is a modification from the existing bail reform uh, situation, uh, or even more closely aligned with what Republicans want to see, although they don't want to go as far as Republicans want to go with changes. It's very interesting because, again, this is like another piece of evidence in the, the 
the greater debate that's going to wind up happening here on bail reform and what actually gets put into action. Um, there is the possibility that lawmakers who have, uh, Democratic lawmakers who have a supermajority in both chambers just basically ignore it. Pretend that this information isn't out there and just let Republicans continue to yell and scream like they have for the last couple of years about changing bail reform. Um, but if there is this growing consensus within the Democratic voting base, I think at some point they're going to have to at least consider making some kind of change. The, the judicial discretion that we're talking about here is just giving judges the ability to set bail on certain crimes, which right now are, are simply not <coughs> bail eligible, or to potentially manipulate bail uh, under extreme circumstances. So that's where it stands, and we'll see where it goes. Uh, obviously, we, this debate will probably start to pick up in the next week or two as the session gets underway. Probably. Thank you, Josh. You can sign up for the Finger Lakes One Morning Edition newsletter by clicking on the link on our homepage or by visiting fingerlakesone.com forward slash newsletter. Now it's time to talk about some sports. And for that, we are bringing in Paul Russo. Is it the Russo? Should I be calling you? Yeah, no, why not? I'll allow it. The Roos. <laughs> what you got for us? Yeah, starting the high school hoop side of things. Uh, Palmac 54, Hornell 38. Uh, in goodness at 22 last night, and that has officially put him in the 1,000-career point mark. Uh, congratulations, Ian. It's quite the accomplishment for the senior multi-sport athlete. And uh, really, you know, he's been one of the better ball players to kind of watch throughout the course of the past really few years. And, uh Played uh, underneath uh, with his you know, older brother, Paul, who is now playing baseball at FLCC. So okay. got some athletes in that family period, and uh, good to see him uh, get to 1,000 points. So excellent job of him, and congrats. Uh, UNC at Syracuse tonight, 9 p.m. on ESPN for, for the college hoop side of things. Uh, big uh, spot there for the Orange if they hopefully try and make a run to March at this point. And then... Uh, Big win for the Sabres last night, 3-2 to two over the Dallas Stars in overtime. Owen Power got his first goal of the season uh, for Buffalo, and uh, they're on the back end of a back-to-back -to -back tonight uh, in St. Louis at 8 p.m. So that's uh, pretty much it. It's a lighter sports slate. High school stuff had their midterm and Regents week. I don't miss that. You don't but, miss uh, that? No. So it's a lighter, lighter, lighter slate on like the high school hoop side of things and everything like that. So... Yeah, what are you going to do sometimes with that, I suppose? I lost my sports bet. I can just throw that in there. I bet that the, uh, I don't anybody yeah. has been listening, I uh, put down 100 bucks that the Bills and the Giants, two teams that just got their tushies handed to them, yeah. um, and that they would be playing in the Super Bowl, and I was wrong. But I have to, oh, God, I can't even say it. It's bad for <laughs> me to say. I was going to say, but don't quote me on this. I was a little relieved that the Bills lost for me personally, just mm. because if the Bills would have won, I, I'm a Bills fan. I want the Bills to win. But in this particular situation, if the Bills would have won, then it, I would have been even more angry right. at what happened with the Giants versus the Eagles, which was not – it was a depressing <laughs> game to watch. Yeah, I mean, you the way I always like, describe it for me is, you know, you'd rather have that, that the, the bat dead on arrival right. than, than just – 
right. takes it to the last second and then just crushes you. So. Yeah. So so that's so that's what happened with that. And yeah. now I can sort of say that I tried. Yeah. Um, coming up on the other side of the break, we're going to be joined by the one and only Chris Lejeski from the Montezuma Audubon Center in Savannah, Wayne County. He will be right here with us in studio. We're looking forward to that. We'll be right back. Dr. Jeffrey Halstead and Canandaigua Dentistry. Dr. Halstead has been Canandaigua's hometown dentist for more than 35 years. If you're looking for a dentist who offers routine dental care, as well as cosmetic dentistry, implants, and dentures from a highly trained, experienced staff, Canandaigua Dentistry will go the extra smile for you. Committed to local veteran organizations, as well as seniors in the Finger Lakes, Canandaigua Dentistry offers discounts for both, as well as an in-house dental membership program for those without insurance. The office is located at 3240 Middle Cheshire Road in Canandaigua, or you can give them a call at 585-394-5230. Visit CanandaiguaDentistry.com to learn more about the team and follow on Facebook and Instagram today. As the months turn colder, make sure you're able to be comfortable. Don't get left out in the cold this winter. Choose DeSanto Propane. Over 8 million households already heat with propane because a propane furnace can heat air up to 25 degrees warmer than electricity. Propane radiant heat can improve air quality in a home by cutting down on dust and allergens and more. Choose DeSanto today and see why for 80 years DeSanto Propane is four generations strong as a trustworthy family-owned business with unmatched customer service. Go online at DeSantoPropane.com for more info. D-I-S-A-N-T-O Propane.com or call toll-free at 1-800-752-4574 today. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, DeSanto. Since 1937, the difference has been DeSanto Propane. Today's program is brought to you thanks to support from Chichino's Pizzeria and Restaurant. Live, laugh, and eat well. It's the Italian way. It's the Chichino's way. Auburn Auto Group. Experience the difference at auburnautogroup.com. Finger Lakes Partners. Insurance for your life, home, auto, and future. Get a free quote at fingerlakesinsurance.com. Little John and Barbie Orthodontics. Celebrating over 40 years. Visit them online at littlejohnortho.com. Upstate Fiber Networks. Mass and reliable fiber internet straight to your home. Check for availability in your area at UpstateFiberNetworks.com. Midday Miris and Whitney, your hometown personal injury attorneys. Get a free consultation at MidayMirisWhitney.com. Welcome back to Finger Lakes Today. We have with us right now in studio the one, like I said, the only Chris Lajowski. Chris Welcome. Good morning. What's the haps? Yeah, it's ducky out there. <laughs> Is it the ducky? Montezuma. We've been unusually mild, and so most of the Montezuma Wetlands Complex still has liquid water, and that's leading to waterfowl sticking around here in oh. the Finger Lakes region when normally 
by this time in January, we're iced over and the birds are having to go a little bit further south to spend the winter months. So ducks, geese, the snow geese are still around in impressive numbers. We're seeing thousands of snow geese and bald eagles are still very prevalent and going after their favorite food, which is fish. And so that kind of transitions me right to my first question that we have yeah. for you. Um, what are the results of the Montezuma Bald Eagle Survey? Back in early January, 30 staff and volunteers fanned out across the entire Montezuma Wetlands Complex, actually extended from the north end of Cayuga Lake all the way up to the south shore of Lake Ontario. And in that stretch of terrain, we found 72 bald eagles. Wow. Which is a very impressive number, oh. although not a record. The record was five years ago when we found 81. Fair enough. But the trajectory is still positive. We're seeing more bald eagles, uh, generally speaking, every year. The average over the 10-year period is 56, so 72 is well above the average. Um, very impressive numbers, and, and that's, a, I think, a testament to conservation efforts going on. Uh, not only at the Montezuma Wetlands Complex, but across uh, Canada and, and the migratory stopover sites that bald eagles make. Well, I was going to say, they did quite a job when, you know, bald eagles were going extinct. And I want to say they did quite a job making that, sort of reversing that. But who is they? Was yeah, it just all right. these different places like yours, you know, throughout the nation that are all part of this? Like, how did we get the bald eagle um population to turn around yeah great question and uh, there were so many individuals and organizations and agencies that came together to bring our national bird back from the brink of extinction so back in the 1970s we only had one nesting pair of bald eagles in the whole state of new york and that's down from probably hundreds if not thousands and and so the agencies began to make it illegal to harvest bald eagles Agencies, federal governments banned DDT, which is an insecticide that was making a bald eagle eggshell so thin and brittle that oh. the uh, chicks were not developing uh, and not surviving. And um, ultimately, though, we brought bald eagles from other parts of the country to this Montezuma wetlands complex. And that was the first time that this had been tried anywhere in this country. We brought 23 bald eagles between 1976 and 1980 to Montezuma, and it was so successful here. We brought the same program to other parts of New York, and now we can proudly say that there are over 400 nesting pairs of bald eagles across New York State, and they're a daily sight for us in this Finger Lakes region, a conservation success story. That, I was, that was the, you were the right guy to answer that question, and if there ever was a right person to answer that. Um, now, we're going to move along to some winter bird feeding tips. I don't have a bird feeder. I feel like I should. If I did decide to have one, what would I do in the winter? Winter is a great time to feed birds. Uh, not that they, the birds need our feeders up, uh, but it does help them survive these long, dark, fairly cold conditions that we have from generally December through March. Um, so there's ample food for birds out there between berries and seeds uh, and nuts that grow naturally out in the environment. But it's fun to put feeders out because that brings them closer to us. 
and that gives us something to enjoy during this very dark cold period of the year. So we recommend a few tips uh, if you're bird feeding during the winter season. One is having a variety of seed and maybe just two different types of seed. At the Audubon Center up on Route 89 Savannah, we have thistle seed and black owl sunflower seed. So the black owl sunflower seed is probably the best all-around bird seed that's going to attract a great variety of birds. You'll get black-capped chickadees, white-breasted nuthatch, tufted titmouse, northern cardinal, many species. If you have the thistle seed or niger seed, it's also called, uh, that's going to bring in uh, finches, so American goldfinches, for example. Um, uh, and, and so if you've got those two types of seed out, you're probably going to bring in a lot of birds. It may take a little bit of time. Don't get frustrated. Patience, and, and they will come and they will find it. Um, the other thing that we recommend, if you have squirrels in your territory, uh, there is this cage-type feeder. And there's a cage that goes around the tube where you put the seed in. So the birds can still get at the seed through the cage, but that cage is too small for the squirrels to get at the seed. Oh, so, so you, the squirrels you win the battle there against yeah. this. The, and it's an ongoing battle I know that a lot of folks face. I faced it at home and up at the center as well until I found this cage feeder, and it's great. There you and then go. the last thing I would recommend is putting out natural uh, food sources for them. So... Uh, wildflowers that produce seed during the summer and fall months. Many of them are holding on to those seeds still during this winter season and you'll get uh, dark-eyed juncos and American tree sparrows, maybe even black-capped chickadees going after those seeds, and then berry shrubs as well. So winter berry, black chokeberry and red chokeberry, uh, spice bush, just to name a, a few of natural native plants that will produce seed for birds during the winter months. Fabulous. Now we are talking about the species spotlight. We're looking at, when I'm looking at right now, I can go ahead and Google this if you want, the American black duck. Mm. They're pretty. I mean, they're dark, but they have a, a line of this really sort of like a royal blue on their wings when they extend them. That's right. Is that true? Okay. Yes. So I'm looking at the right thing. Why are they in the species spotlight right yeah. now? Again, winter is the time to see a fairly good number of American black ducks across the Finger Lakes region. Like you were saying, it's mostly a really dark colored bird at a distance, almost looks black, but on closer view you see it's really a dark brown, almost chocolate color. That purple patch that you were referring to. Is it to, purple? Yeah, it's purple, oh. and, it's, and we call that the speculum. Oh, wow, it is So purple. a lot of duck species here in the Finger Lakes region have that color patch on their wing. That's the speculum. Uh, so you can differentiate species of ducks by the color of the speculum. Now the American black duck looks very similar to the mallard. However, the speculum is different on the American black duck. It doesn't have that white border that the mallard has. You can find the American black duck this time of year on the Finger Lakes in the unfrozen wetlands across the area. They are going to dabble. Uh, from the surface, meaning they are going to get their food right from the surface. So they will put their heads down in the water, but keep their body above the water and get whatever food they can get from the surface. Most of their food are nuts and seeds and aquatic vegetation. Um, as we go into breeding season, you might find them in forested swamp habitats. So they're going to nest primarily on matted down vegetation in those swamps. But you could also see them nesting in cavities in trees, holes in trees across the Finger Lakes region. I highlight this species because it's a species 
that used to be the most common duck along this Atlantic flyway from northern Canada down through New York State down to Florida. But because of habitat loss and overharvesting, their numbers declined. Yeah. Uh, but we have turned the corner, we've reforested much of this terrain that the American black duck inhabits, including right here in New York. And so as a result, population is starting to tick up once again, which is another good conservation success story. Excellent. Let's uh, kind of circle back a little bit here to the bald eagles. Uh, Onondaga Lake bald eagle and waterfowl excursion. Uh, what can you tell us about what happened with that? Yeah, we had that excursion uh, this past Saturday, and uh, we were planning on just leading one of those birding walks along Onondaga Creek Walk uh, in the morning. Well, that filled up. We had 50 people registered, mm -hmm. and we were still getting a lot of inquiries about this excursion. So we added the afternoon excursion, had another 50 people registered and sold that one out. Now the draw to Onondaga Lake is that it used to be the most polluted lake in the country. There were very few fish species in it. No bald eagles were living around there and very few other birds could be found there at the lake. It was pretty much a dead ecosystem. But over the last 20 years, Honeywell has cleaned up the lake alongside many other environmental engineering companies uh, that helped with that process. And then after the cleanup was done, Audubon and, and other conservation organizations helped to restore 90 acres of wetlands and shoreline along that lake, right in downtown Syracuse. And as a result, Onondaga Lake is now home to the largest bald eagle roost anywhere in the state. And we can now proudly say that there are two nests bald eagle nests right. at Onondaga Lake. It's awesome. <laughs> Which, I mean, that's a drop the mic type of situation. Right. Drop the mic. People ask, hey, is the lake really clean? How healthy is that water? Is it good for the bald eagles to be eating those fish? The bald eagles and the thousands of waterfowl and many other birds that are there throughout the year would not be there if it wasn't a healthier, more uh, intact ecosystem. So people still find this story fascinating and we Audubon's been proud to be a part of that effort and, uh, and leading many other excursions uh, as we will be doing over the course of the next, uh, uh, well, the rest of this year. Actually, our next one is coming up in early February when we're going to lead a snowshoeing nice. excursion down there. So folks can go to our website, ny.audubon.org slash OLCC for all the up-to-date information about the Onondaga Lake Conservation Corps. Fantastic. Before we get you out here, uh, speaking of snowshoeing, free snowshoeing excursions continuing uh, every Saturday through February 25th. Yeah, and uh, so far yeah, we yeah. haven't broken out the <laughs> snowshoes yet, but people have still come out to the Montezuma Audubon Center for Saturday birding walks. We've enjoyed many songbirds. Bald eagles have been uh, present each and every excursion, so uh, it, it's a great time to be out and about. Uh, with family, with friends, exploring this Montezuma wetlands complex through our guided free birding hikes. And these take place every Saturday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. right on through the month of February. Now looking ahead at the weather forecast, going to get a little bit more wintry here, and I'm optimistic that we will break out the <laughs> snowshoes. Uh, we have snowshoes available for everyone who comes to these free excursions. Children ages 5 and older are welcome. Uh, teenagers, adults, everyone is welcome. 
Of course, people can bring their own snowshoes if they'd like, but we have plenty for everybody. Uh, we do have limited space for each and every excursion, so folks can go to our Montezuma Audubon Center website for this information and to register, which is ny.audubon.org slash Montezuma. Uh, and they'll click on programs and events, see all the upcoming programs that we have at the Audubon Center, and uh, look forward to seeing folks throughout this winter and getting ready for the very busy spring migration season. Well, as always, thank you so much for joining us, Chris. We are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking about the latest push for clean energy in our region. We'll be right back. Dr. Jeffrey Halstead has been Canandaigua's hometown dentist for more than 35 years. Canandaigua Dentistry offers routine dental care, as well as cosmetic dentistry, implants, and dentures from a highly trained, experienced staff. A proud supporter of local veteran organizations, Canandaigua Dentistry offers veteran and senior discounts, as well as an in-house dental membership program for people without insurance. Dr. Halstead and Canandaigua Dentistry is committed to providing you with personal, professional care. Whether you are searching for a family dentist or a cosmetic dentist, the Canandaigua Dentistry team promises to go the extra smile for you. Stop by the office located at 3240 Middle Cheshire Road in Canandaigua or call 585-394-5230 to talk with the team today. Visit www.canandaiguadentistry.com to learn more and find them on Facebook and Instagram too. Oh, 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 since 1937, the difference has been DeSanto Propane. That's 80 years that DeSanto Propane has been servicing the community. DeSanto Propane is four generations strong as a trustworthy family-owned business, which is why everyone recommends DeSanto Propane. Choose DeSanto today and see why for 80 years, DeSanto Propane has been heating the community with unmatched customer service. Go online at DeSantoPropane.com or call toll-free 1-800-752-4574 and like DeSanto Propane on Facebook for more tips and info today. DeSanto is celebrating 80 years and there's never been a better time to switch to propane to fuel your entire house. Oh, 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 oh DeSanto. Since 1937, the difference has been DeSanto Propane. Today's program is brought to you thanks to support from Chichino's Pizzeria and Restaurant. Live, laugh, and eat well. It's the Italian way. It's the Chichino's way. Auburn Auto Group. Experience the difference at auburnautogroup.com. Finger Lakes Partners. Insurance for your life, home, auto, and future. Get a free quote at fingerlakesinsurance.com. Little John and Barbie Orthodontics. Celebrating over 40 years. Visit them online at littlejohnortho.com. Upstate Fiber Networks. Fast and reliable fiber internet straight to your home. Check for availability in your area at upstatefibernetworks.com. Midday Miris and Ricky, your hometown personal injury attorneys. Get a free consultation at midaymirisricky.com.
Welcome back to Finger Lakes. Today, we sat down with John Murphy from the Clean Energy Jobs Coalition, and here's him describing why he believes that New York should be making a push to have a combination of clean and renewable energy, not just one or the other. I'm an international representative for the United Association of Plumbers, Pipe Fitters, and Sprinkler Fitters, and also lead the Clean Energy Jobs Coalition of New York. Okay, so talk to me a little bit about like what you what you actually do on the daily. Like, what's your mission? Well, again, I represent more than twenty four thousand UA members in the state of New York. Everything from uh, jurisdiction to arbitration. But what has taken so much of our time over the last three years is the transition of my workforce. In addition to tens of thousands of building trades members that are being eliminated from the energy transition in New York State. So I, you know, as I'm looking at the press release here, I'm seeing that the Clean Energy Jobs Coalition, comprised of labor and management leaders representing more than 270,000 skilled energy workers. So, like you said, foster green energy economy and creating jobs. Um, so it looks like right now. Uh, working on grid reliability in central New York for the projected manufacturing needs of Micron. Can you talk about that, what that means? Well, and and as we spoke about earlier, any questions we can't answer, Greg Lancet, who's the business manager of UA Local Lady One, will be able to send it to you sometime today if you need it. Sure. So if we think about the, the push to bring manufacturing back to New York State, all while some of the loudest voices in the environmental community are looking to electrify, shut all power supply and electrify New York State. And it, it contradicts itself. You can't do that. In order to bring manufacturing back, you need reliable, dispatchable energy. But at the same time, we want to have clean, dispatchable energy. And that's possible. But it's not possible at this state, uh, at this stage of, of the transition, to have all renewable to be because there's no storage available. You need reliable, dispatchable, clean energy, alternative clean sources, or all of the above, as we always say. What's the difference between clean energy and alternative energy and other kinds of energy? Well, alternative clean sources would mean hydrogen, would mean nuclear, would mean biofuels, things that are low to no carbon emissions, but not necessarily renewable. When they talk about renewable, typically it's sun, wind, and water. Gotcha. And okay. that's good. And we say, build all you can, but it's still not enough. You need to have other forms of reliable energy. And while you do it, you want to make sure it's clean. Okay. And so I do have a kind of a couple of little questions that they sent to me, which is very, very handy um, because I'm no expert on the topic, but I think you, you are. Um, can energy upgrades at existing power plants reduce emissions as replacement renewable energy sources are being built? Correct. That's the, that is the logical way to proceed. There are some of the loudest voices that are looking to shut down every power generating facility, and they say, well, we'll figure it out. You can't do that. What we need to do is shore up the reliable energy, the existing plants today. There's two that come to mind immediately in the Hudson Valley. You have Dan Scammer Energy, and you have NRG, which is in Queens. Those plants are peaker plants. They're fossil fuel plants. Peaker plants only run when the grid there's not enough power to supply the grid, almost like a generator in your home. If you have no power, you turn on the generator. That's what a peaker plant does. Oh. Those, two, those two projects were ready to start. They were shovel ready, and, and they would retrofit those plants to run on 30% hydrogen from day one. So they'd be much more efficient, much cleaner, and would only run 
if we needed the energy on the grid. They were stopped because of the CLCPA. It put 1,200 building trades members out of work for three years and still jeopardizes the reliability of the grid. Um, so talk to me a little bit about why clean energy is, I mean, it seems like such a, an obvious answer, but why is clean energy um, and, you know, an attempt to keep one's carbon footprint to a minimum, why is that important? Well, I think it is important and, and it's great. That it's a great question. So we've tried uh, very hard to change the narrative from renewable energy to clean energy, because in our minds, it's one and the same. In fact, clean is even better because it includes, and again, when I say reliable, dispatchable, that means you turn on the switch and you have power. If the sun isn't shining and the wind isn't blowing, you still have power. Uh, and that's the difference. So we, we believe climate change is real. There's no doubting climate change is real. It's how we get to the goals is where we differ sometimes with some of the environmental groups. And what, what kind of things do you differ on? Well, we, we, support, we support retrofitting existing plants. Right now, the plan is through the Climate Action Council to start to close down power generating facilities. And we say clean them first. And especially the fact that New York State is taking the lead in trying to create a Northeast hydrogen hub. There's trillions of dollars a year being spent on hydrogen infrastructure. We'd be right in the center of that. We'd be able to retrofit fossil fuel plants to hydrogen plants. Zero emissions, zero carbon emissions, great high-skilled union jobs, reliable forms of power. But again, anytime we try to even talk about that, some groups try to shut it down. All they want is solar, offshore wind, and hydroelectric from Canada. And you don't think that that's reasonable? It should be a, it should be a part of the puzzle. It's only one piece of gotcha. the energy grid, not all. That's why we, again, talk about all of the above, but even more importantly, the facilities that I spoke about are the largest job creators. The, the, probably the best job creator and most efficient form of zero emissions energy is nuclear, nuclear energy. It's got zero carbon footprint in multi-generational high quality union jobs. So, okay, you know, I have to admit some of this, I feel like I'm slowly starting to like grasp an understanding about what, what you're saying. I think I got kind of Sure. Caught up on the difference between clean and renewable. And now I feel like now that I understand that, I can ask you better questions. Um, so in terms of like we talked about what your what your mission was, what you were doing. Um, I think the next thing that we were going to discuss was the utility net the utility thermal and networks and jobs act. Yes. How um labor, business, environmental groups came together to advance that policy into law. What is it and when did that happen and what does right. it mean? So if we take a step back, we look at um, where the carbon emissions come from. You have power generation. We talked about power plants. When it comes to thermal energy networks, we talk about buildings. So buildings emit tremendous amount of carbon into the atmosphere. So the push has been to go to air source heat pumps or electric heat. If you've spent any time in Western New York, you know that if you just have electric baseboard, it is not efficient, it's very expensive, and it doesn't really heat your home. Air source heat pumps or mini split systems have helped, technology's not there yet, but what happens in the winter? They work that much harder on the electric grid. What happens in the summer? They have to work that much harder on the electric grid. The thermal energy network, what that does, it supplies water to ground source heat pumps. Very so you've heard of geothermal before. 
geothermal I energy. I can't tell you what it is. Sure, geothermal it. energy consists of wells that go into the ground and bring tempered water because the earth has a consistent temperature. You feed the ground source heat pumps with 55 degree water and they're super high efficiency. So a furnace in your home, if you have an oil furnace or a gas fired uh, boiler and you have 90% efficient, efficiency, you feel pretty good. A ground source heat pump can be between 300 and 500% efficient. That's what's so great about it. And it doesn't add to the power grid. Summertime, wintertime, the electric demand remains the same. The difference is instead of wiring infrastructure, electric infrastructure, you have piping in the ground. So you'd have piping in the ground that return hot water down, brings tempered water back up, cold water down, tempered water back up. And in, in return, it creates a transition for utility workers, for plumbers and pipe fitters, for sheet metal workers. It's a tremendous amount of jobs uh, involved. So to get to your initial question, you said, how did this come about? I sat with a few uh, environmental uh, groups and uh, the Building Decarbonization Coalition, along with some designers of, of geothermal and thermal energy networks. Together, we collaborated and found there was a lot we could agree on. And some even asked me, well, did you talk about nuclear? Or did you talk about hydrogen? We said, no, we focused on this. We didn't want to let uh, perfect be the enemy to good. Let's focus on that. We saw the potential. Uh, we've spoken to the legislature. It went unanimously through the Senate, almost unanimously through the assembly and was signed into law uh, on July 5th by the governor. And what this does, it allows utilities, the seven utilities in New York state, think about instead of running a gas grid or power grid, now a thermal energy network, which are water lines underground that would feed communities, would feed institutions, brings them into the building. You tie them into ground source heat pumps. You decarbonize, you put in high efficiency heat pumps, and it's a win all the way around. It's good for the workers. It's good for the environment. It's good for the ratepayer. You're clearly very passionate about this, which is great. <laughs> I mean, I can just feel it. You really, um, you know, this that, that was probably a big moment for you, right? It was. It was. Yeah. And it was a start because most didn't really fully understand, even within my industry, some of my members didn't understand. They said, why are they looking to rip out boilers? And our position is you could rip out boilers if you're putting in ground source heat pumps. It's the same for us. Right. Workers work. Right. We're not partial to what runs through the pipe. We just want pipe. Right. Fair enough. Um, so moving right along, uh, another question that was listed is, can New York install thermal heating and cooling systems at state offices and schools to reduce emissions Great and questions. lower energy bills? So what we did is we continued the collaboration with the group uh, that passed this first utility thermal bill. And now we are uh, petitioning the governor to focus on 15 state facilities that are the highest carbon emission campuses and facilities to start to run thermal energy networks on those, focus on those. And so it, it can be done and it will be done. And the New York State Energy Research, Research Development Authority, NYSERDA, is actually funding several thermal projects in addition to the utility bill. Cool. Um, so moving right along, uh, as New York moves to transition away from fossil fuels, do we need other types of energy than just renewable? And I think we talked about, I've got it, the difference. Is there a role for hydrogen and new nuclear technology to play in New York's clean energy future. First yes. of all, what is new nuclear technology? They have, instead of uh, a, a very large nuclear plant that you might see with plumes of steam 
uh, on a riverfront. They have small modular reactors that they can actually assemble in place. So they don't have to be massive uh, thousand megawatt facilities. They could be much smaller to serve the purpose. And I believe NYSERDA is going to be focusing on also employing some of these small modular reactors. Sometimes they're called advanced nuclear reactors. They're smaller, they're, they're extremely safe, and zero carbon emissions. If we're going to achieve our climate goals, we have to rely on nuclear and hydrogen as well. And um, Buffalo, right, our, our neighbor, which is crazy, Buffalo has been having oh. so much snow and we've gotten none. It's outrageous. Like, I, it's, I've been in Rochester for s several years and I've just, I've never lived a winter where, you know, it was like no snow and the temperatures are so mild. But, um, so our good neighbors, Buffalo, um, they're, they had a really serious weather event, a uh, big blizzard, um, you know, extreme weather events happen all the time. Yes. Um, what does that tell you about the need for energy reliability and resiliency? These are good questions. I it didn't is, come up, by the way, I didn't come up with these. I'm going on a script right now, so I can't take credit for them. Well, they are very good questions. It's perfect. It illustrates really to, to all of New York why it's necessary to have reliable, dependable. It's not philosophical. It's not people feel, no, 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 we need to, to re reduce carbon emissions. We get that, but the reliability, the grid is first and foremost. The safety of the residents of New York is first and foremost. And that's perfect example of what could take place. One tragedy, we saw what took place in Texas, right? In Texas, where more than 200 people died. And they had mostly air source, there was a lot of reasons, but air source heat pumps that fried the grid and there was no power. Right. Um, electric buses and cars, I don't know where this is coming from, but are projected to replace gas and vehicles in the next 15 years. First of yes. all, is that true? And Who's saying that? Number two, does this mean New York will need more power, not less? Yes, it will. That's exactly the point. If the plan is to electrify further and go with electric vehicles, you need to make sure you have an adequate supply. Solar is not enough. Hydroelectric is not enough. It supplements what needs to be part of the reliable grid. And again, I, when I say reliable, dispatchable, that means turn on a switch and you have power. You know that the lights will go on. One thing I kind of wanted to circle back around to was when you said uh, the bit about cleaning existing power plants. Is that yes. what you, okay, what all goes into that? Because that does not sound like something that would be like sure. cheap so, nor easy to do though, right? Well, or no? It's, it, no, it's, it, first of all, most of it is privately funded by those power companies themselves. Oh, and these okay. are high-skilled jobs. And what they do is they retrofit them to, to make them more efficient. And with the emergence of hydrogen, that's exactly what they're trying to do. They want to start to infuse hydrogen into the gas lines where, again, today, these turbines, which actually generate the power, can run on 30% hydrogen and 100% hydrogen by 2040, 100%. So why not retrofit those, employ New Yorkers that raise their families in New York Fair rather enough. than taking hydroelectric power from Canada. I mean, yeah, I didn't even think about that. If just the act of changing a plant creates jobs. Right. You know, local jobs. These are right. all local jobs. Yeah. Um, so one thing that's <laughs> just a personal personal question, switching sure. gears a little bit now that those are out of the way. Do you have, are you one of those people who has like solar panels on your roof? 
believe it or not, I'm actually looking to get pricing on geothermal because, of course, where I live, they don't have thermal energy lines as of yet. But I'd like to convert my boiler to a, geo, uh, to a geothermal uh, ground source heat pump, and it would be great to supplement that with some solar. So today, I don't, but I think I will. If we talk again in another year or two, I think I will. Are you, are you in the like research phases of what exactly to that? And there's so much available in, in the form of tax credits and incentives. Yeah. It makes sense. If you're going to do it, it makes sense, especially if your furnace is at the end of its useful life. It would make sense to go to something that's highly efficient. I don't know. I didn't. I mean, it makes sense to me, but I never even thought about that, that there would be tax incentives. 30% tax credit right now. There you go. 30% on the, on the cost. All right. So I guess if there's one thing that you hope people will take away from this interview in its simplest form, what would it be? Is to try to take the emotion and hysteria out of this process and let's look at it logically. Let's look at it strategically and make sure that we're protecting the ratepayers and and the citizens of New York State while we deliver cleaner energy. But the decisions have to be made on logic and, and, and information, not on emotion. All right. Thank you, Rebecca and John. Coming up after this quick break, we'll be talking with Amy Fuller. She's the executive director of the Cuca County Chamber of Commerce. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Finger Lakes today. Now we're going to get some more information on something happening all week in Cayuga County. Restaurant Week is an annual event that's been happening for the last seven years or so. And yesterday, our own Josh Durso caught up with Amy Fuller from the Cayuga Chamber to learn more about it. So first things first, what is Restaurant Week for the uninitiated? Uh, We started it about seven years ago. And what it is, is the last full week in January, uh, chamber restaurants are all welcome to join in and offer specials for the week, whether it's breakfast, lunch, dinner, or all of them. And we create a landing page on our chamber website at cubacountychamber.com slash restaurant week. And people can go there and see what the specials are. We encourage people to call the restaurants because sometimes hours are a little different these days, um, but it's, 
uh, what happened is when we started this to kind of backtrack is we asked our chamber member restaurants, when would be a good time to do this? When is it like crickets, you know? And they said, you know, after the holidays, it typically kind of slows right down. And depending on what the weather's doing around Valentine's Day, it picks up. And depending on when Easter comes and all of that. So they said, I think January would be a good time to do it, like the end of January, because it encourages people to get out and maybe visit a restaurant they haven't been to in a while. Or if they know they're getting a deal, they're more apt to go. Mm-hmm. What uh, I'm curious, obviously, having done this uh, a bunch of years now, What's the reception like uh, when you guys get this thing going uh, end of January? It, it's really good. I, we, you know, our communications coordinator does a lot with social media, as does a lot of the restaurants. And there's a lot of engagement. People are checking it out and wanting to know what's going on. And, you know, is so-and-so participating? I don't see their special up yet. So people, mm-hmm. you know, after something gets legs for a while, then people look for it. You know, yeah. so they look for it now and they're... You know, and we have a, a sponsor, Tompkins Community Bank, who, you know, pays to sponsor so that we can put a couple ads in the newspaper. And mm-hmm. it's at no cost to the restaurant. If you're a chamber member and you want to offer a special, we do the promotion through our means. The citizen gives us a couple of, pay, you know, ads courtesy of our sponsor. They'll throw it out on their social media. So it's just a good way to, you know, to, to get engagement and get people maybe back in the door again. Very cool. Um, and to that end, what uh, what are you guys hearing from uh, the restaurant community? Obviously, winter hasn't been very winter-like um, right. across most of the region. So I'm, I'm a little curious if maybe some of the restaurants have enjoyed a, a little more activity over the last you know couple weeks. Um, I th- I think you, I think you're right. You know, because we haven't had our typical. You know, we're snowed in for a couple of days winter. I mean, I had to scramble for my snow brush this morning. So, <laughs> but um, I think they have enjoyed, uh, you know, a little bit because of the mildness. But like I said, um, the, the draw for everybody is the deal, like anything else, you know, like Black Friday, it's the deal. So if people know, you know, I we went out this weekend and enjoyed one of the restaurants and it was very crowded in there. It was great, you know, so... And I say to my husband, let's go out to dinner and get a deal. So let's go. You know, here's the list of who's participating. Where do you want to go? You know? And uh, what are some of the restaurants that are participating in Restaurant Week this year? Uh, We have 1833 Kitchen and Bar. That's in Aurora. It's part of Inns of Aurora's property. We have the 1925 Grill, which is at Highland Golf Course. uh, Balloons Restaurant and Steakhouse. Cafe 108. Cameron's Bakery, not a restaurant, but they offer a deal on a dozen donuts. So, nothing um, wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Fargo Bar and Grill in Aurora. Next Chapter Brew Pub. Oak and Vine at Springside Inn. Pablo's Restaurant. Portico, um, and that's at Del Lago. Porter's uh, Farm and Fork in Port Byron. Prison City's State Street location. Prison City's North Street location. Refinery at Hilton Garden Inn. And Rosetta's on Maddie Street. So we got 15 restaurants this year, and like I said, they all have, you know, some of them offer, you know, one fixed menu for the whole week where you can pick, like, you know, choose your choose your appetizer, you get a salad, choose your entree, choose your dessert. Some people, like Porter's, he has a special every day, something a little different, and some people offer a percentage off. So it's a, it's a variety of things, but like I said, it's just a, it's kind of a good way to, and all of these that we've reading down through, they're all local. 
So yeah. it's a great way to support our local restaurants who, along with a lot of other businesses, have struggled a little bit. So, you know, I, I say no cook Saturday. That's the rule of my house. Let's go out to eat. I like the sounds of that. Uh, what what does it say to this kind of outside the scope of just Restaurant Week? But what does it say to you about Auburn uh, as it's kind of become a bit of a, a, a regional food and drink scene? Um, obviously, a week like this is a great opportunity to celebrate that. But uh, right. that's something that you guys are, are, I'm sure, really proud of and happy about week in and week out. It is. I mean, you know, I mean, I've, I've lived in Auburn all my life. So, you know, you look at Auburn. 10 or 15 years ago and you could just drive through downtown and it was a couple of banks, some attorney's offices and not much else. So, you know, I, I figure every community has their niche and it looks like the niche for us is the restaurant and the breweries. People enjoy them. People support all of them. You know, um, we do a lot of things with our friends at the skinny Atlas chamber. And I know when people come to me and say, you know, uh, a nice day out it's a spring day i'd like to go shopping i'll say you know what you go to skinny atlas they got some nice retail shops and i know hillary at the skinny atlas chamber if people want to dine outside she'll say oh you got to go to auburn they have some nice sidewalk dining outdoor dining opportunities there so you know you try to complement each community in their own way and i i think i think the brewery restaurant part of it complements us here yeah not that i wouldn't like to see more retail i know that's always in the works but It'll get here when we're ready, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, and, and you mentioned it there a, a little bit, but just uh, for someone who maybe hasn't been to Auburn, who might be listening or watching, um, how awe-inspiring is that transformation that's taken place over the last two or three decades uh, in the city itself of Auburn? I think it's phenomenal. You know, when you when you can go downtown on a, you know, on a weekend night and not find a parking place, I, I think that's excellent. You know, and, and, you know, I have to give kudos to the city, too, and the bid office because, you know, here they offer two, you know, two hours free parking downtown. And they started that through COVID to kind of encourage people to come downtown. I know backing in for some people is a challenge, but there is a parking garage in some areas where you don't have to do that. But um, I think it's been a wonderful transition. And I'm looking right out my window here, the park on State Street across the street. They opened up that at the end of the summer. So, you know, like I said, it's it, it's nice to see people walking around and, and enjoying, you know, eateries, wineries, or even just walking around just because it's nice, you know. So I, like I said, I, I think the retail will come. I think, you know, there's certain steps that have to be taken, and I think we're headed in a really good direction. Very good, very good. Uh, and one last uh, uh, tidy up point here for Restaurant Week. When does it end? When does it wrap up? It wraps up Saturday the 28th, so it's it's nine days of deals. It started on Friday the 20th, and it goes through Saturday the 28th. And like I said, you can go to cugacountychamber.com slash restaurantweek. It's right on our homepage. You click on there, and it gives you all the menus, the specials that are at each restaurant. And like I said, I encourage you to, to call and find out hours, make a reservation if you definitely know you want to go, and just enjoy yourself. Get a deal. We love it. We love it. Amy, thanks so much for the time. Appreciate it. Absolutely, Josh. Have a good afternoon. All right. Many thanks to Amy for taking some time to talk with Josh about Restaurant Week yesterday. That runs through Saturday, so there's still plenty of time to check out some great spots to eat and drink around Cuyahoga County. Speaking of food, though, something that's on my mind 
pretty much all the time. Jim Sinecropi is here with another Finger Lakes One food review. Hi, Jim. Good morning. Good morning. What good do you show got this for morning, us, you guys? Yeah, what did you say? Enjoy, I've enjoyed the show this morning. Oh, thank yeah. you. Good guess. And, wow. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I went to Skinny Atlas Brewery, which unfortunately is in Onondaga County, which isn't part of the Q, uh, Chamber of Commerce Food Week or Cuga County. Um, but uh, it was it was a great spot. It was about two miles outside of Skinny Atlas. And before we talk about it, I guess we can play the the post that I yeah. made on TikTok. Headed out to Skinny Atlas Brewery, also home of Last Shot Distillery, about two miles outside of downtown Skinny Atlas here on a mid-January, late Saturday afternoon. And as you head inside, to the left you'll have the distillery, to the right the brewery, and there was a steady flow of people uh, throughout the time that we were there, which is good to see in the middle of winter. This is one of the cooler things, uh, some carved chairs and tables, and there's a lot of places you can kind of make your own inside this facility. A great selection of beer that they make themselves, stout, lager, light ale, blonde, and as with a lot of places you can get white, which is what we did. On the distillery side, gins, whiskeys, vodka, bourbon, and they have a tasting tray. My favorite was a maple syrup bourbon. Friendly staff, uh, friendly patrons. There's one of the seating areas overlooking the uh, production side. And then another room with a bunch of large picnic tables. This is much bigger in here. Obviously dog friendly, also apparently kid friendly. Uh, the beer was great. Not a lot in the way of food. They had popcorn, pretzels, some Miranda cheese. But great way to spend a few hours here in uh, Saturday afternoon in the middle of January. Highly recommend All right, what a spot, Jim. What a spot. What a find. Um, what I, I guess I'll start here. What was your favorite beer shot that you had? Or well, um, they had 12, to... 12 beers on tap, um, and so I did the tasting flight, and then after that, got a single beer, my favorite, which was the mainsail chocolate. Ra or no, it wasn't. I'm sorry. Let me find the one. Um, the Chapendaga Sour Ale. Mm. Um, and that is a classic and drinkable kettle sour ale fruited with raspberry, blackberry, blueberry, and sweet dark cherry Ooh. puree. It was light and floral on the nose with a very berry, with very berry notes. But um, I'm not a beer guy. Let me put it that way. So right. when I, I hear that we're going to a brewery, I'm like, all right, whatever. But I don't mind tasting different beers. But the main reason I'm not a beer guy is like we're going to dinner after this at the Elephant and the mm -hmm. Dove and Skinny Atlas, oh, okay. which that review will go up to TikTok in a day or two, and we'll talk about it here on Finger Lakes today as well. But you know, after you drink a couple beers, right. you're not ready to go have a big meal, right? Um, so I'm more of a wine guy. Uh, I also like whiskey and bourbon, although they don't like me. Um, so, uh, but I did enjoy that that beer, the the uh, Schuppendaga Sour Ale. And uh, like I said, they had 12. Another one I enjoyed was the Mainsail Chocolate Raspberry Stout. And again, you want to fill yourself up, get yourself a nice stout. But again, I just was had the tasting flight. But what a cool place, off, off, a little bit off the beaten path. It would be a great place to go in the summer. One of the commenters on the TikTok video said, 
um, that they do have food trucks in the summer mm. because there wasn't, you know, a kitchen cooking food there. Right. But they did have popcorn, pretzels, and some Miranda cheese, um, so, you know, so you could snack on some things while you're drinking your beer. Nice. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a big sour guy, so that seemed right up yeah, it was, my alley. Yeah, it was good. It was refreshing, yet a little bit uh, tart, you know. Yeah. Um, and then on the other side, the um, the Last Shot Distillery side, the Sweet Maple Liquor, which is Sweet Maple Spirit distilled from 100% New York State maple syrup. Yeah. I've never really had anything like that. That was good. Um, they had bourbon whiskey. Their Skinny Atlas whiskey is kind of their signature which is uh reserve whiskey aged in their use bourbon whiskey barrels soaking up sweet honey and floral flavors finishes like a rye dry and spicy but it's smooth like a wheat um they had some different stuff too like orange cream lightning liqueur uh another sweet maple liquor and uh, chocolate creme brulee so they had some different stuff. Um, they gave you these little wee little thimble shots, you know. And they didn't want to, <laughs> if you do one tasting tray of, of that stuff, that would could be equal to five or six shots. So mm-hmm. um, they were just little little ones. And then you, they had a lot of signature cocktails made from them. Uh, but it was a real cool place to hang out. As you saw in the video, two sides to it, the distillery and the brewery side, um, both real cool spaces. And then if you went past the brewery side to the right, there was like a balcony with four tables, a smaller seating area that was overlooking all those, uh, uh, the production area there where they make their, I assume that's the brewery. I don't think that that was the distillery. I think the distillery might've been downstairs, but, um, and then in the back room, it was a huge room with about 10 picnic tables and big screen TV. And they had like a little connect, a life-size connect four thing that you might've caught. Uh, and you know, there's some dogs hanging around, which I don't mind some kids, which, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, but overall a really cool place. I'd love to go back. Um, and, and, you know, that was, it was perfect. We wanted to kill an hour or two before we went to dinner in Skinny Atlas mm-hmm. at the Elephant and the Dove. And, um, and yeah, if you stay tuned or follow us at FL1Food on TikTok, you'll see that review. Oh, probably tomorrow. Perfect. Yeah. Love it. Definitely have to add, uh, add the Skinny Atlas Brewery to the, uh, to the visit stop. Yeah, and the other cool thing was it was January. Yeah. You know, and it was pretty hopping. Another thing you might have caught from that video was the parking lot was full. Mm-hmm. Um, when we first got there, it wasn't too busy, but by the time we left, it was very busy. And I will say one other thing. As we were leaving, I was outside, and a gentleman stopped me and said, Hey, Jim, how you doing? I'm like, good, and I didn't recognize him. Um, turns out he watches this show. Right. And he and he well obviously I knew he did because he knew me by name but then he also mentioned a couple of things that we talked about last week on the show specifically the NFL betting preview, um, which uh, maybe we'll have to do that before the week's out. Two I, games to two. We got to yeah. And I don't know what's going on this week. Last week I was super confident about all four games. Um, this week I don't know what to do. I really don't. You got any early uh, Well, the, the Bengals have now swung to being favorites in that game. Which is crazy, isn't it? Insane. It's about, from this time yesterday to, to now, it's been about two and a half point swing. Yeah, and I would have been happy to go with the Bengals as underdogs. Right. But now that they're favorites, I'm like, whoa, wait. I mean, what? that's kind of a dis, 
service to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, right? Um, who are at home, yeah. So, but you know, I do kind of like the Bengals to win that game. Um, so maybe that's why the lines like that. And then on the other side, um, I've been really high on San Francisco all year. Um, they seem to be that to look like that Super Bowl team, but. The Eagles sure looked like Super Bowl team, too, last week against the right. Giants. So that's a tough one, too. And if San Francisco was at home, I would have probably felt pretty confident betting them. But going to Philadelphia, uh, it's it's a, that's a tough task. Different task yep. entirely. So yep. I'm, I'm stumped. I might not even bet either game. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you got to put a little action down. But, um, yeah, but yeah I, don't, I don't know what to do. So we'll have to get into that, mm-hmm. do a little more research, and maybe on uh, Thursday or Friday yeah. we'll break it down. I would say once uh, we get the official word, or however much official word we can get on Patrick Mahomes, then now yeah, well, that's make one side that's thing what made easy, the line but, move for sure. But yeah, I mean the, the Philly San Fran game, defense that's defensive primo right there at this point. I'd say the way the way the Eagles are playing as well. So yeah, Nate, you have any early favorites that you like in those NFL games this weekend? Um, I I. I think with the change to uh, favorites for the Chiefs, I like that because then they or with the change to underdogs because now they can play the bulletin board material that no one believes in us. I like when teams can do that. That's usually what Cincinnati's been doing. Yep. So now all of a sudden they're getting respected. Yeah. So, yeah. so what about the other game? Uh, I'm still liking the Eagles. Okay. They're playing some good football right now. It's fair enough. And what about tonight's uh, Syracuse North Carolina game? Uh, I have to take the Orange Men, right? They need this is the type of win they need. Yeah. They need a, a you know resume builder, and this is a perfect opportunity. It's interesting. I I don't know for sure the status on one of UNC's better players in Leaky Black. He got a flagrant two on Saturday against NC State, and they usually carry some sort of repercussions to the next game in line. So I don't know what the status. They should would make be. him change his name. Well, <laughs> for this game. Do we have a line on that game? Four and, and a half. Okay. Four and a half for UNC right now. They're favored by. So, uh, yeah, I I like to say it's one of those cautiously optimistic ones, but um, I think we've seen for sure this Syracuse team this year, you can't really put too many eggs in the basket before you get going. So. No, the game starts and you see what you got. Yeah. You know, um, but 9 p.m. start, man, come on. <laughs> I mean, the ACC. Why are you doing it to, right. to everybody? You're making, you're making people go into this game on a Tuesday night, go at, for a 9 p.m. tip. You know, on a Tuesday night in the middle of winter up here in Syracuse, it's just. Uh, I think it's ridiculous. I think it hurts attendance. Um, you know, the benefit would be that sure you might get some West Coast uh, TV viewers that maybe wouldn't in some exposure, but it still just doesn't feel right. Just another thing about the ACC and John Swafford's uh, leadership that, um, that I don't like at all. Yeah, it's tough. No. I, 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 I don't know. It, the 9 o'clock thing to me, I don't know. It's not quite a non-factor, I don't think, at this point for me, at this point. No, Just I'm going to watch it. Not, yeah. I'm not going to like fall asleep. Right. Like, for me, watching it at home, it's fine. But I'm not going to go into that game. Yeah. I'm not going to go to Syracuse for a 9 p.m. start. I'm 50 years old. There's a good <laughs> chance that I fall asleep in the second, second half I'm, of that one. I'm still on the fence about it. If I can get the, the ticket prices can come down a little bit on the secondary, I think I might make the trip. Well, if you wait till yeah. about, you know, actually, you could wait till 7.30 and buy right. your tickets and still make the tip. Right. It's crazy. 9 p.m. start. I mean, it's Saturday night, 9 p.m., 
Friday night maybe, but Tuesday night 9 p.m. start, it's gonna it kill. It's gonna just kill the atmosphere in the dome, and the and attendance will most certainly be down by at least 20 percent of what it would have been if it was a seven o'clock game. That's what I think. I don't I don't disagree with that portion of it either. At least so. Hopefully the students turn out then. Here's looking at you, fellow Orange fans. <laughs> yeah, the students should be there. Yeah. Um, there's no break or anything, so yeah. let's beat those uh, Tar Heels tonight. All right. Thanks, Jim, stopping by. Let us know about Scandalous Brewery and the, uh, hopefully an Orange victory tonight anyway. Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed. Yeah. So that will do it for the Tuesday edition of Finger Lakes Today. Josh Durso and Sydney Radka will be here tomorrow morning getting you ready for the day. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember... If you want the latest on your smartphone or tablet, download the FingerLakes1.com app. It's free and available on Android and iOS. For Rebecca Swift, Nate Sherman, Jim Senecropi, and the rest of the Finger Lakes Today team, I am Paul Russo. I'll see you tomorrow.